Yeah, me too. Hey, not to brag or anything, but I think last week's Mother Day message was like one of the best Mother Day messages I ever heard. Just saying, who would have thought talking about murder on Mother's Day would have been a good idea? But it was fantastic. Um, if you missed it, uh, sorry, you can go catch up on the podcast. Uh, after service, let me just tell you something that happened. Right after service, I, met, I encountered a lady in the hallway, and she was on the phone. She was crying, and she flagged me down and says, wait, wait one second. I need to talk to you. And so she finished our conversation. She comes up to me and says, thank you so much. Uh, last week, and it, it challenged me and encouraged me. I really felt God was saying I needed to do something about, about the message. And so she called her mom, and uh, she began to have this conversation of reconciliation uh, just to bring some healing and some forgiveness. And so forgiving her mom, asking for forgiveness. Uh, just an incredible moment where uh, we just knew we know that God was just doing something there. And so if you missed the message, go listen to it. I think it might be for you. Um, if, if you have issues of, of holding on to some things in the past, I would just encourage you to go and listen. Uh, we're in a series uh, called The Ten Principles. And before I jump into today's and review a little bit, I just want to say welcome to all those uh, tuning in online. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad to have you with us today. And I uh, think you're going to enjoy the service today. Um, this series is, is built around the Ten Commandments. So in the Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel, gave to Moses, you've probably seen the video, right? And it says the God that he gave them the, on, on the stone tablets these Ten Commandments and uh, to how the people can, can, can uh, um, to know what to do in the land they're going into. So he rescues them from slavery and he gives them his commandments. And here's the thing, he doesn't, he doesn't make them become perfect before he begins to give them his, his commandments and his law. He, he's on this journey saying, here are some things to help you stay free on the streets can help you. And so the Ten Commandments, they're really about relationships. All right, uh, they're, they're all about relationships. And so we're saying, what would it look like if we looked at the principle, the reason behind each of these ten commandments? Because we can get the understanding of what the law says and what the, what the commandment is, but what is the intention? What's the principle behind it? Uh, the, the, the terminology the Bible uses is the law of the letter and the spirit of the, le- of the law, the, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So we know what the law says, but what is the spirit? What is the heart behind that? And so we're digging, digging in to say, what would that look like? And so uh, some review from... Uh, just the last few weeks, uh, principle one was the principle of priority. What does that look like to put God first in your life? Have only one God, and he says yeah, it's got to be a priority. Uh, the second one was purity. Say no, other, don't make any graven images, any idols in your life. Keep your life pure. Don't, don't allow mixtures. Uh, principle three was humility. Uh, this was not taking the Lord's name in vain, realizing that uh, who you are as an individual and living a life that would honor God. Uh, principle four is the principle of rest. Um, that says uh, to, to, to have a Sabbath day, have a, have a one day a week, take a day that you can, um, you can rest and uh, ref- refresh and prepare for the next one. And he says that's a, it's a special day. Uh, principle five was honor. This was saying honor your father and mother. And what it looks like, what that principle is trying to teach is really not just honoring your parents, but learning to honor all authority. Uh, because when we figure out with our parents to honor them, it translates into honoring other people in our lives. And principle six was last week, and this was not, not, that should not murder, and we talked about that, and the principle behind that is love, um, that we would learn how to, to operate and to have relationships out, out, out of love and what, what, what uh, leads to murder and what can keep us from that, and uh, anyway, that was last week, you'll catch up. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the next one, um, and last week, love, when we talked about love and forgiveness, we just said this, that forgiveness means to release that's what forgiveness is. It's I'm no longer going to carry this, this burden, this rock. I'm no longer going to carry what, something that's keeping me back. And so forgiveness means release. So today we're going to jump into um, um, uh, the, the seventh commandment. And before I do that, let me just give a, a heads up. Parents, if you have kids in here that are um, maybe of age to understand uh, the topic of adultery, that's the, the commandment we're going to talk about, and you don't want to have conversations about that, then I would encourage you to take them to, to G-Kids. Um, and just to give you a heads up, right, it's not going to be super intense, uh, but just so you're aware. And uh, if you have young ones, they probably won't bother them too much, but uh, for older kids, 
you will have to have conversations if, if you're not ready for that, um, just so you know. All right? Um, this is important I want to talk about. Before I jump into that, the seventh commandment, though, this, I, just want to, I want to set this up. All right? In our culture, um, there, there is a stream that's moving one direction. Uh, culture is like this. Is, I, this is the best way to explain culture in anything, in, in, a, in a company, in a family, in a community, in a, in, in a society. Culture is like a stream or better like a river, like a, a really fast-moving river. All right? So if you can imagine this really massive river that's, that's just flowing really fast. Um, if you throw a stick in that river, which way is that stick going to go? If it floats, if it doesn't sink up to the bottom, which way will it go? With the current, right? And so this is what culture is. Culture is a raging river that just moves in one direction. And the stronger that culture is, the faster that current goes. And so in our world, our culture, there's certain ideas, certain things that are taught, certain things that we um, uh, hear all the time that, that are just are showing where that culture is going. Um, but here's the thing about, about, about rivers is um, only living things can swim upstream. All right? Dead things float. If you're a Christian, this really applies to you. If you're not a Christ follower, I think you can learn something really good. But there's some things that when I'm talking about these scriptures, it's directly talking to those that say, I'm, I'm following Christ. For those that don't, they have, they have the right to do it. And so in, in our culture, there's things that they say, this is the way culture is moving. This is what is acceptable. This is what you should be doing. And if you're not, then you're, you're out of touch. You don't really understand how the times work. You really don't understand the world. And so sometimes because people don't want to go with the current, all of a sudden they're labeled different things of not, not, not understanding or accept, accepting, even to the point of being called bigoted, things like that. And so what, what happens is if, if, um, if we just go with the, with the flow, we'll end, up, we'll end up wherever else ends up. But we know as we look around, we, we, we look at Hollywood and the message they say, this is what's important in life. Even Hollywood doesn't work, right? So they say this is what you should do, fame, all that. The banks, the financial institutions, they say this is what you should have. And the commercials come up saying if you buy this, if you own this, you're going to have this kind of life. It's going to be good. And over and over we get all of these messages saying if you have these. But if you, if you follow the trail long enough, if you follow the story, eventually you get to a place where you realize that kind of life really wasn't all that fulfilling. And it's kind of like you just jumped in the stream and just kind of went with the culture. Well, culture said it's acceptable. I should do it. I'm just going to go with it. And at some point you realize down the river that that is actually not even the river you want to be in. And God is inviting us to say, I have a better way if you will trust me in this. And so only living three things swim upstream. And so the Bible says this about, about us. We're made up of these three parts, right? Soul, body, and spirit. And the Bible says that without Christ, without God, our spirits are dead. Uh, but the moment that we say, God, I accept you, what you did on that cross for my life, we become, the Bible, the term that uses is born again. We have this new start at life. And really what, what Jesus is talking about is our spirit. There's a, there's a birth within us that's, that's new. And it's our spirit is born. And so those that, that have not accepted Christ and been to follow him, essentially their spirits are just, they're dead. They're not, they're not living. And, 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 and they're, they're going with just with the, the flow. They're just, just kind of going with whatever feels good, whatever's right. And God is saying, but there's something different about you once you acknowledge that you want to follow my ways. You now are living, and you now need to swim upstream. In fact, the Bible uses words like this. Jesus says, um, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. So like, there's a path that a lot of people go on, and because everybody's going on it, they think that's the way to go. He says, but narrow is the road to salvation. Narrow is the way to life. So if you want to have real life, you have to find the narrow path, which a lot of times upstream, more difficult because you're going, not just going, uh, not just, you're going against the current. You're going against the, the, the culture, and, and a lot of times it's, it's more difficult. So he's saying, but those that find it find life. Those that go on that path, they find life. And so today my challenge is this. What if in your life you've just kind of been cruising along, you've accepted whatever else is said, and you've been on this journey, and here's at some point, if you haven't already realized it, at some point you will, 
You'll be on that, on that current of culture just going down, and there's going to be a point in your life to say, wow, this is really not working. Like, I was told this, but it's really not, the results are not what I was hoping they would be. Like, what do I do here? And I would say at the end of the service, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. But at some point, we all reach this in every area of our life. In my life, there's moments where I've seen this. We gave into the, the certain things of culture. We say, let's just, that's what this says. Let's do that, the way we manage money, the way we do things. And at some point, we realize that's not really the best way to do that. That's not really the healthiest thing. And so God is saying, what if you followed me? And yes, it might be a little harder. You might have to swim upstream, but only living things swim upstream. And if you want a thriving relationship with, with people in your lives, you have to learn to swim upstream. So one of the things we say in our church is this, that healthy people, they do healthy things. The reason somebody is healthy is because they're doing healthy things. And the reason somebody is unhealthy is because they are doing unhealthy things. So in your life, if you want to be healthy, you have to choose healthy things. And so this, this series about relationships, it's saying this is what healthy relationships do. These are the things that you have. If you want to have a healthy relationship with, a healthy relationship with God, you need to work these things out and, and follow them. If you want to have a healthy relationship with others, you need to do this. Like last week was like, how, how many of you think it's a good idea and that we shouldn't just murder people, right? That's, that's a good I think. That's, that's a good thing to have healthy relationships is not to be murdering people. And so today we're going to talk about the seventh one. The principle is this. Uh, the, the, the seventh uh, commandment is this. Exodus 20.14 says, you must not commit adultery. So we're going to talk about adultery. Uh, you must not commit adultery. And here's the principle I think that is behind the seventh commandment. Uh, the principle is the principle of intimacy. Uh, we'll talk a little about what that actually means. But here's what I want you to know when it comes to, when it comes to adultery, when it comes to sex. We're going to be talking about sex today. And uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. So um, we're made up of three parts, the body, the soul, and the spirit. All right? You're made up of, of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And when it comes to sex, sex affects all three areas of our life in this. And I'll show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. So uh, having sex outside the bounds and, and the, the, the covenant of marriage, he got, uh, Paul is saying flee from that. That's not, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, flee is running away. It's like don't even look. Just, just go the opposite direction. Take off. Flee from that. Because uh, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You're sinning against yourself. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you received from God. So Paul is, at this point, he's, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, all right, you've decided to follow Christ. So if you're not a Christian, um, I think this, this, this principle will help you. This teaching is going to help you. Uh, and hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll um, challenge you to be able to think differently about this. But in this, in this verse, he's saying, all right, if you're following Christ, here's the thing. When you became a Christian, like God's spirit is living in you. Like you have the Holy Spirit. Is that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you from whom, whom you received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Because of the cross, because of the sacrifice, we were bought with that price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So he's saying you, you need to honor God with, with your bodies. Um, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, you know, people, in, in, if you're a Christian or if you've been going to church for a long time, the, the commandment most people get hung up on, you know, nine are pretty good, but there's one they're like, the Sabbath, I just don't really get that. Why do I need a break once a week? That just sounds like laziness. That doesn't, I should be working as hard as I can. I only have one life. Um, and so a lot of even people that follow Christ, even Christians, they would think like the Sabbath's not that important, but it's so important. And, uh, and we talked about that a few weeks back. The one that I think people that are looking on the outside in that look at Christians, uh, today's commandment would be the one they get hung up on. They're like, okay, I get all the other commandments. Those kind of make sense. If there was a God, he wanted you to, to serve him and follow him. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't have any other gods. You shouldn't make idols. That makes sense. You shouldn't take his name in vain. You should live right. But the sex thing, I just don't get that. That just doesn't, that seems so antiquated and so old and, and, and it just doesn't fit in our season, our time of life. And so, um, um, 
I think this is where I would say people that are outside looking in, they would think we just don't get it. Like you're missing out on something. You really don't, don't understand this. And I would say the opposite. I would say I don't think they really understand because if they did, they would treat it a little carefully and they, 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 they would uh, hold on to this a little uh, more safely. And so I would say um, when, when it comes to sex, God is saying don't have sex outside of marriage. That's what he's talking about, sexual immorality. There's, there's a covenant between – he says – so here's the thing. God created sex. And sex is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. God was not surprised. He wasn't walking because the Bible says that in the beginning in Genesis, he was walk, he'd walk through the garden with Adam and Eve, right? So it's not like one day God's walking through the garden and hears the rustling and the leaves and like, huh, what's that noise? I'm like, oh, my God. Or he wouldn't say, my God. He was like, oh, me. Oh, my. Like, what are you doing in the, behind the trees, right? He was not caught off. He was not surprised. Like, how did you figure this out? God made us to, to procreate, to, 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 um, to, he made this as a gift. It's a gift from God for us. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and so, so we have to understand God made it. He's not surprised by it. In fact, he put the desire in us. And it's a good desire for a good reason when we follow his, his, his instruction, his ways. Once we get outside of the boundaries of that, we begin to find ourselves off in, in, in places that we, we, we don't no longer live. Um, but he designed us. He, he gave us this, this, this desire. And we follow God's plan. Life is better. It works. And, and also, honestly, marriage is more fun when we follow his way. And it's a good thing. And so it, it affects three parts of us. I said the, uh, the, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Right? Let me show you in scripture how, how sex affects those three parts of our, of our lives. Uh, well, I already showed you the body. Right? So when, when, we're, uh, when we have sex, it affect, he's saying it, it affects your body. There's, there's a, a physical part of it that, that the, the physical part of you is affected by it. Then there's another part of you, which is called the soul. We would call the soul uh, the personality or the ego. Now, those are the words that we use for this. It's our will. It's our, it's our thoughts, thoughts, right, our intellect, and our emotions. These are the th- three things that make up our soul. The words that go along with the soul are these, I want, I think, and I feel. This is, this is the part of us that really is, is where we have the battles in life, right? Because we feel things, we want things, and we're like, I want... I, I want what I want. I mean, we want what we want, and we have to figure it out. And, and so um, this is the part where, where God is saying, if, if you want to follow me, this is the part you need to submit to me so that um, I will lead you and help you on this journey to, to be able to, to, to overcome things that would otherwise pull you in. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, about, it's about that. Um, so, so it's about the soul part. So here's, here's what it says. Proverbs 6.32 says, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own, what's the word there? Soul. You destroy your soul. There's that, that part of you, your personality part, actually destroyed when you, in this case, a, woman, a man has, uh, adultery, commits adultery with a woman. Or you could switch it around when a woman commits adultery with a man. He's saying it destroys your own soul. The word destroy there means corrupts. It rots. It wastes. It ruins it. It injures it. So he's saying when we, when we do things outside of God's boundaries, outside of God's best, we actually are, are rotting something within us. Our, our personality becomes rotten. It, it's affecting us. Here's the beautiful thing, though. God can redeem anything. And even in this, I'll show you at the end, God can redeem, and he wants to redeem, and he wants to lead us in a better way. But that's our soul. So the soul, remember, I want, I think, I feel. Well, here's the challenge. Half of us, we're thinkers. And so when we want something, we're going to figure out a way to think ourselves into why that's appropriate and why it's good. Other half of us here, we fill, we're fillers, and so we will fill ourselves into things. So if we want something, well, it just feels good. Just go with it. Others, they have to convince themselves to think it. And so it's, it's this battle of, all right, I, I have to figure out how I can convince myself to do whatever I want to do. 
Um, and, and, and so we, we, we fill our ways into decisions or we think our ways into decisions. And so when, we, when somebody commits adultery, it actually is in our mind and our emotions first. That's where it starts. And really that's where Jesus says you have to stop it um, is, is what it happens there when thought life. But it's, it's when we have thoughts or feelings towards people outside of marriage, that's wrong. Um, or, or while um, well, before you're married, having those thoughts too. Sol- Solomon, and this is, this is one of the things I read, is uh, the, there's a book in, in the Old Testament called the Song of Solomon. And if it wasn't for this book, um, there, would, it, there would have been a lot of religious people who would have actually said sex was bad. Um, the Bible talks about it, but not that much. But this book talks about it a lot. Um, and, the, and the reason I, I believe it's included there, because God doesn't want to show us, like, this is a beautiful thing. It's not dirty. It's not bad. It, it is, it's, a, it's a gift that God gave us. So in the Song of Solomon, Solomon's writing this song about two lovers, and it's about sex. It's about their relationship, about intimacy, all that stuff. And he says this. He says, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Another one says, do not awaken or arouse love until the time is right. He's saying, like, like there, there's going to be this temptation, and, and all of us have it. There's going to be this time, and I think this is the strategy of the enemy, is he wants to awaken as early as possible in, our, in kids to, to this, this idea. So God made us, right? He made all of our parts, our sensitive parts. Like, we are made as sexual beings, and that's not a bad thing. That's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. And he made us those way, this way. And so we can't be surprised by it. And Solomon's saying, don't awaken that until it's the right time. And really when it says until it pleases, I believe the way to say that is until it pleases God. And the way it pleases God is when we're in a committed relationship saying, I'll make a covenant between myself and, and this person with God. Like, we're inviting God into this relationship. We're going to do it his way. We want to invite him to lead us on this journey. And so he says, don't do that until – because here's the reason why. Because any appetite that you feed will get stronger. Any appetite in your life that you feed will get stronger. Uh, this is why addictions and um, things that, we, that people face on a daily basis, they fed it for so, so, so long that it, it's, it's, it's created this appetite that's gotten really strong. It's hard to break it. And sex is the same way. Solomon's saying don't awaken that until the right time. So there's, gonna be, there's young people in, this, in the room today. I would say this. Um, even though culture is saying when it comes to sex, when it comes to relationship, like anything goes, just go with the flow. Let, it feels good. Go with it. God is saying no. Just trust me on this one. Part of, part of us submitting to God is saying, I'm going to swim upstream on this one. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated 16 years of marriage on the 11th of this month. And uh, so awesome. Yeah. I am so glad that I follow God's way. I, I, I promise. It's a beautiful thing. I'm saying, God, I trust you in this. I, I, I want to do this. And, uh, um, and it, it, it's, it's, I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk to you about it in a second. It's, it's, it takes work. Um, but when you feed that, it's only going to grow if you feed it. So Solomon's saying don't. So in, my, in, in life, here's the question. So some of you in this room, you're thinking, well, I'm not married. I'm, so maybe you're saying I'm never planning on getting married. There's principles that I'm talking about in this message that will still apply, even though it's not talking about, about you and a spouse. It, it, it could be between you and God. It could just be in relationships in general. But here's one that I love to teach when I do premarital counseling. It's my favorite, one of my favorite things to teach. Um, is I, it, really the question that I don't ask them but I'm asking you is, in your life, do you want frustration or do you want fantastic? In your life, do you want frustration or fantastic? And here's what I mean. Uh, when I start meeting with a, with a young couple that's gonna, or a couple that's going to get married, and we begin to talk through like what, what works in marriage, what causes marriages to, to fail, what, what, what are the hard things that people have to deal with, we begin to walk through this. And uh, I talk about this, this thing called the frustration gap. Right? So when, you're, when your expectation is here and your reality is here, however big that, real, that, that gap is, that's how frustrated you'll be. So if it's an expectation and the reality is really close, not too much frustration. But if, if your expectation is here and your reality is way down here, that's a lot of frustration, right? And for example, this could be in communication at work, whatever, if your expectation reality. But the example I use in, when, I'm, when I'm counseling is I do this. I said they asked, um, 
uh, couples that were, that were newlyweds a question. They said, how many times a week do you, do you expect sex? Like, how many times do you think is reasonable? And the guy said, what do you guys think? Seven times, right? They said the expectation is seven times. And the woman said, once a week. Man, somebody knows this. <laughs> so once a week, all right? So if the expectation for a guy is like sex every day and is once a week, how many of you guys know we have a little bit of a gap there, right? So there's a lot of first. There could be a lot of sexual tension and frustration there, right? And so the idea is, okay, well, let's like meet in the middle, right? Four times. That's good, right? So married couples, let, let, let's, let's just figure this out, all right? And so my, 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 the whole point is this. It's not, I'm not saying you have to have a certain amount of time. Just if there's an expectation and it's not being met, there's going to be frustration in your life. That could be communication. This could be with your kids. Like your expectation is them get at 10 and they get home at like at 12. There's a lot of frustration there, right? So maybe you didn't explain the expectation. That could be part of the problem. And maybe they didn't know it. And so it's figuring that out. Here's the beautiful thing, all right? When you figure this out, the frustration gap, you want to close it so you have realistic expectations, but then you also come in closer so there's no frustration. But here's the beautiful thing. If your expectation is here and the reality is here, how do you know that's a good thing, right? I would call this the fantastic gap. This is like when life is fantastic. It's like things are, are, are working along. Like you thought you were going to get whatever, you know, $10 a, an hour, and they gave you $20 an hour. It's like, wow, life is really good, right? You with me? And so if you're expecting $100 an hour and they're giving you 10 it's like, oh, man, I'm really frustrated here. But if you're expecting 10 and they're giving you 20 it's like, man, this is, life is good. And so how do we live in this gap? And I believe when we follow God and his, his principles, his commandments, this is where he's trying to lead us. He's trying to lead us into this gap where, where life is fantastic and it's, and it's working. Um, for example, when we first got married, since Harry and I, um, there was, um, the, I was working at a church in Bernalillo, and there was, there was a few of us that would work together, some side jobs. We do construction, different things. And when we'd go to these jobs, in the middle of the day, at some point, I would talk sincerity, and she'd say, what time are you going to come home? And I would ask the boss, what time are you going to come home? He'd say, we'll be home at 5 o'clock. I would tell sincerity, 5 o'clock. Um, but 5.30, I'm calling her and saying, hey, uh, we're still working. looks like the job's going to go longer. Or she'd call me, like, where are you at? It's already 5.30. I'm like, well, we're still working. And so if the expectation was 5 o'clock and I'm coming home at 7 o'clock, how many know I'm walking in a house that has a lot of frustration, right? So I walk in a room, like, the atmosphere is, like, frustrated, like, oh, man. So after, like, five or six times of this, um, I realized she, call, she says, what time is the job over? I asked the boss what time is the job over. He says a time. I'll come home two hours later. So after a while, I realized, okay, I'm walking home to a frustrated lady all the time, and not by her fault at all, but because I was, I was, uh, I was miscommunicating the time or, or telling her time, not, not fulfilling it. And so I, I learned, she says, what time are you home? I said, what time are you home? Boss says, five. I say, probably like seven. <laughs> and so, so then she, her expectation now is seven o'clock, right? So when I got home at seven, I walk into a house, there's not any frustration, right? And then what happens is when the job ends early and I get home at four it's like woo you're home early right i thought you're gonna be here at seven and you're home at four that's the extra three hours of our life to be together this is an amazing and i'm now living in the fantastic and so so the whole point is in our lives we choose frustration or we choose fantastic and i think the current that the, the world is living in a lot of times it only leads to frustration because we begin to do things that they say works when we look down at, when we get down to, down the river a lot we realize this is not really working and if you look around in culture, you see this very easily. In any sphere of our society, things are breaking all around us. They're not working, which I get excited about because at some point, somebody's going to say, okay, if this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this, what does work? And then I say, man, the Bible, it's, it's worked for thousands of years. It still works today. If you'll trust it, it works, I promise you. So here's, here's what fantastic means. 
Fantastic means appearing as if conceived by an unrestrained imagination. So fantastic. The root word for fantastic, you know what it is? Fantasy. So when you live in fa- fantastic, it's like you're living the fantasy. It's like, this is better than I imagined. So, so God designed you to live a fantasy with somebody else. How many of you know that's a good thing? When we live God's way, it's, it's a fantasy with your spouse. It's, it's, it's like your spouse is a man, the life I'm living with you is like a fantasy. It's like better than I thought. What are you saying? Man, it's coming in higher because of, it's just good. And God is saying, this is where I want you to live in your life. I want you to live in that zone of, of fantastic and, and get rid of the, of the frustration so you can, you can live in a better way. Here's what intimacy means. Right? It's not just about sex. Intimacy, it, it means closeness. It means somebody's close. Uh, Sincerity, come up here for a second. Come on, come on. My, my wife of 16 years. Come on, let's celebrate 16 years of marriage. So good. No, no. Well, you'll hear you if you talk to me. It's cool. Um, so intimacy is closeness. It's not just about sex. It's also about relationship. This applies. Um, we're close, right? So that, that's a signal that we're close. How do you guys know when I say something really dumb that she doesn't do that to me, right? Her, her and this happens sometimes, all right? We're in a conversation, and I say something out of, out of hunger, or out of anger, or out of frustration, or whatever. You just say something. It's not actually bad. It's just not the best thing to say, right? And, and she receives it like, oh, man, that was like punched me in the gut. Like that wasn't a very nice thing to say. And then sometimes she says it back, and it's like this spiral. So intimacy, when we, when we don't have clear communication, um, there's, a, there's a breakdown in closeness. Are you with me? And so instead of this, like, man, I love you so much, now it's like, you know, turn, give me the cold shoulder, right? Like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, don't even, like, come to the room, whatever. And when, when, we, when we have disagreement or misunderstanding, um, depending on what that is, we begin to have a space or a gap between us. We don't have long have closeness or intimacy. And so I'm, well, the reason I'm saying this is because in relationships and marriage is important, but when it comes to God, this is the same exact principle. It doesn't mean that we're separated or divorced or, or no longer loving each other. It just means there's a gap there. There's a separation that we're no longer close. And when that happens, the other kind of intimacy really doesn't happen either. You with me? Like, it's like, I don't even want to think about that because I'm so frustrated with you, upset with you. That, that isn't going to happen. So now instead of having fantastic, I'm having frustration. Right? You, you with me? Thank you. That's, give it up for sincerity. Closeness. And so when it comes to intimacy, this is, this is how the Bible paints a picture of, of sex and, and the relationship he wants, right? Genesis 2.24, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So two become one, right? That's, that's, that's the idea of marriage, and, and you get the picture of that. And here's the thing in the Bible. Every covenant and every vow that's made in the Bible, there's always an external indication of what was made. Always. Like there, there's some kind of sacrifice or something on the outside showing on the inside. Well, in marriage, that is that, that, that consummation of, of, of the vows is sex. That's the way you show there's, there's a seriousness to this, that we are actually showing this. And so when two people have sex, they become one, is what the, Bible, the picture the Bible gives. But notice how it says this, that, one, that, the, that the man will leave his father and mother, all right, and pay attention to this really closely. So, so up to this point, that relationship is the priority. Your parents, as, as kids, your parents are the priority, the priority. But at this point, the man is saying, okay, I'm now leaving this relationship. Not that it's less important or not important. It just means this is now going to be a new priority. He leaves his father and mother and joins to his wife, right? And the word join is, is to cleave. One of, the, one of the words they use is to cleave, which means to pursue a great energy, to cling to something zealously. 
It's a great picture of marriage right there. Just, just you're pursuing with energy and excitement to, to your wife. And so they're, they're, one relationship is not as, as, as important now as this one. It's, it's a, this is more priority. And so it says he's leaving to join, and they become one. Uh, well, here's the thing in, 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 in relationships. Like I was talking about sincerity. Healthy relationships, they don't just happen. They take work. And really, that's the secret of marriage. If you want to know why we've, we've been able to do 16 years and still love each other, because it takes work. Like we've worked at it. The moment you stop working, it stops working in, in life, in general. Anything you stop working at will eventually stop working for you. The secret is work. Um, if you're waiting to just drift into something good, that's what culture wants you to do. Just go with the flow, whatever feels good. You'll never drift anywhere important or anything. that you, You'll get to some place and realize, man, nothing really happened. It's like me wanting a- a- abs, like a six-pack, right? That's a good goal. I mean, with me, like, man, I should have these six-pack abs that are just like I'm ripped. Well, if I'm every day like, come to me abs, like one day they're going to come. That burger's good. Ooh, Krispy Kreme. Like, come to me abs. Oh, look at that. Whatever. If I don't ever do anything to address this desire, I'll never get it. Right? Why? Because it takes work to get something you really want. In life, relationships are the same way. It takes work to get it. So it takes work between us to have closeness, to have intimacy. My relationship with God is the exact same thing. Closeness, intimacy. Sometimes I think in our lives, even if maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, there's these moments where you don't feel close to God. And you're thinking, Man, why don't I feel this? Because it takes work. Maybe there's something in the journey where you've, you've neglected. If, if I didn't talk to my wife for a couple days at a time, like how do you think she'd respond to me? Right? Why? Because there's no closeness there. Same with God. We don't, we don't, that's why prayer is so important. That's why reading the Bible is important because we're saying, God, we want a relationship. We want to have this connection, this communication with you. It's also listening, not just talking all the time, right? So it's listening. It's, it's listening to that person. So it takes work. First uh, Corinthians six fifteen through 17. Let me show you the spirit now. It affects the spirit, right? He says this. Do you not realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute or an immoral person? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself with to a, with, to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. So the Bible uses this picture three, four times in the Bible. Three of them is to marriage. One time is in this, 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 uh, uh, this relationship with, with a sex with somebody that's not, you're not married to. In this case, an immoral person or a prostitute. And he's saying that person becomes one with that person. And the, and the idea here is, is, remember the leaving? Man leaves the father and mother and he joins his wife. And this is why, guys, if, if, um, when you're ready for marriage, it's so important that you're healthy because essentially what's happening is, is you're leaving your family and you're receiving somebody else's possession, somebody else's that they've been caring for. So my daughter, I have three daughters. Now I'm already praying, God, prepare them for an amazing person, an amazing man that, that can help lead them on this journey uh, because I want them to be strong and I want that person to be healthy because I'm essentially saying, all right, my responsibility to raise my daughter, to, to, to help her to serve God, to love God, I'm passing on to you now. That's your responsibility, sir. Like, I'll continue to pray. I'll continue to support. But now you take on this responsibility. And that's why he says that the, the, the man leaves his father and mother and, and goes to the wife, and the wife joins him. But here's the other part of it, is when, when he, he, he leaves and he joins to somebody else. So he's leaving his parents. He's joining to somebody else. Um, there's a leaving and there's a cleaving. There's a leaving and there's a joining to somebody, something else. In every relationship you have, you leave something and you join to something else. And the more you join to, the more things you bring into your life. Um, I, I, one of the pastors I learned from, he said this about, about uh, affairs and about sex. He said parents have told him they knew when their son began to have sex with his girlfriend because there was a, a leaving from them. Like they felt the separation, not, not in a physical sense, but a spiritual sense because it's a spiritual principle. 
There's a leaving of that. And, and here's the thing. Our culture says it's not a big deal. You do whatever you want to do. No, there's a very spiritual dynamic to it that's at play here. And we have to trust in God. Even though I don't understand it, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to follow your way because this is how you lay it out. Um, he's even said when he counsels spouses, they knew when their spouse began to have an affair with somebody else because there was a leaving. Why? Because you have to leave something to join to something else. This principle always also applies. Well, let me show you. In 1 Corinthians six seventeen. so the exact next verse after we just read, it says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So he's talking about being joined to a prostitute and having sex and you're, you're, you become one with that person. But then he's saying, but a person that's joined to God, he's one with that person also. So the same principle applies to God. When we step out of his boundaries for life, we actually begin to step away from him. There's a leaving, a disconnect, and we join ourselves to something else. And depending on what that something else is, will affect our future. So God says, don't, don't do something. And we say, yeah, I think, I think I'm still going to do my own thing. We actually disconnect from God. And we begin to join ourselves to whatever this thing is. And depending on how strong that thing is, will begin to affect our future, our life, can become a habit, can become an addiction, or can be just something as simple as, as, um, as leading us into, into something that's an unhealthy relationship. And God is saying every time, every time you leave, you, every time you join in something else, you're leaving that relationship with me. You're, you're, you're not making a priority. Um, and this is not, I'm not just saying this could just be always sin. It's just we, we, we turn something else. This is why this principle is related to, so the first, you know, four commandments are talking about how we should have a relationship with God. And the next one is talking about how we have a relationship with, with people. They, they're related. The, the principle of, of, of having God priority and having purity is related to having intimacy. It's the same idea. You have to protect those relationships or you have separation and you have, you have unhealthy relationships. Um, and here's the thing when, when it comes to what we, what we leave and what we join to. All right. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to people and they say, what's the big deal? It's just a paper. Why is a paper so important? It's not important. The paper is not the, not the, the important part. It's the blessing of God that you get when you do it his way. It's, it's saying I'm going to have a covenant between me and this person and with God, witnessing it with God saying I'm a part of this. And it's saying, God, I invite you into it. Um, here's the other part problem with that is when you have sex with somebody that you're not married to, you actually create an appetite for sneaking around sex. Because no, no teenager goes to their parents and says, maybe not know, there might be some, but most teenagers won't go to their parents and say, hey, I'm going to go have sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend tonight. All right, I'll be over there and call me whenever you need me. No. What happens? It's like, I'm going to be at her house or I'm going to be over there. And, you know, where are you guys going? Well, we'll be over there. You have to lie to get to that place, right? So it starts off with deceit. It starts off with lying. It starts off with manipulation. And any, any kind of relationship like that is not a healthy relationship because you're having to sneak around. Well, you know, when I marry my wife, and uh, after our wedding day, we went to visit all the family the next day. How many of you guys know it was a little embarrassing because we're like, yeah, woo, the new couple. But there was, a, there was a part of it that was like, this is not bad. It's like they're celebrating something that is good. I didn't have to sneak around and hide. I didn't like pretend that, you know, we left the party to go play cards, you know. It was, <laughs> we left to, yeah. So anyways, uh, where was I? Um. So when you have sex with somebody else, you actually create an appetite for that. And here's the problem is at some point, if you do, have a, if you do marry that person, well, you create an appetite in that person for sneaking around sex. And once you're married, the only time you need sneaking around sex is when you have kids because then, you know, you've got to, like, figure out ways to figure that out. But what happens is at some point you realize you don't have to sneak around and have sex. It's just kind of a normal thing now. And the excitement of sneaking around and do something that was, like, you know, not sure if it was all good is lacking. And so now that husband or that wife begins to look for somebody else to begin to sneak around with. And then here's the really sad part is 
now they feel excitement with this person because it's sneaking around sex again. It's like, ah, you're not this fun anymore. So they divorce that person. They go with this person. And then what happens? They get married and then you don't have to sneak around no more. It's like, man, this is not exciting anymore. So then they go for the next person. And this is one of the reasons I think a lot of times we get in these, these rhythms because, or these cycles because we're, we're choosing the wrong thing. So here's my challenge for today. I'm going to wrap it up with this. My challenge is this. Would you make your relationship a priority? If you're married, make that relationship with your spouse a priority. Uh, make, make this, make it, be intentional about closeness and intimacy with your wife. And that's not just about sex. That's about relationship. If you're not married, I would say make your relationship with God a priority. If you want to be close to him, it takes work. It takes intentionality. He wants to have intimacy with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to feel close to him. So choose closeness. If you're not married yet, I would say protect this. Why would you give something that's so precious to just anybody? Like if you don't see yourself with that person, you can't, you can't be with them for years, I would say don't give them the most personal parts of you. That's not, that's not a wise thing to do. Even if culture says, it's okay, just do it. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. And just trust God. In this area, say, God, I'm going to trust you in this because I, I believe you know better for me. I'll be healthier. I'll be protected. Um, and I won't have, I won't have uh, things. So here's the thing now. I guess I'll say this is if, um, if you're here and maybe you face this um, in your life, maybe you've stepped over the, out, out of the boundaries that God has set. The great thing is there's, God has grace for you. He has forgiveness. There's a story of Jesus in the New Testament where it says the religious leaders, all right, they caught a woman. They, 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 got, they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. So this woman was caught sleeping with somebody that wasn't her spouse, right? And they brought her Jesus, and they said, you know the law of Moses, that what we do to, to people that, are, that, that have adulterous relationships. Um, and so they bring this woman, and, and he, they say, what do you say? And Jesus says, well, um, after a while he writes on the ground, he gets up and says, I, I tell you what, whoever doesn't have sin in this, this place, you cast the first stone. Go ahead. And it says that one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they, they put their rocks down and they walked away because they realized they were not in a position to judge this person because they had their own issues themselves. It's a beautiful picture of how God is saying, hey, don't think you're so much better than anybody else because of, of these things. We all have issues. And here's the thing when it comes to sex. We're human. All of us in this room are human. And these are things that we ch- are challenged with and faced with. I'm not perfect. Man, I have to be careful also. You know, things pop up and um, people walk around and you're, you have to make a decision. I'm going to make my relationship with society a priority. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to protect it. You have to. And so if you ever find yourself in the situations, the same answer Jesus gives, I give to you. Man, I'm not here to judge you. Just stop doing it. Do the right thing. That's what Jesus told her. He says then. If they don't condemn you, neither do I. But go and sin no more. And that is the secret what he was telling her is, okay, you've been on this, this journey. You've been just going with the flow here. Now you need to start swimming upstream. And if you know anything about swimming upstream, it's hard work. It's difficult. But if you get people around you to help you on this journey, it gets a little easier. They can encourage you. You don't want to give up. That's what small groups are about. That's what our, our church, what we do. Today, 201 will help you get some, some disciplines in your life to say, hey, get, make sure you have these things to stay vibrant and, and healthy as, as a person and following Christ. That's why we, why we do what we do as a church, as a community, saying, I need, I need help here. I have people in my life that I talk to when I have struggles because I know I'm just a person. I'm just a human. And if I'm not careful, one decision away from throwing it all away. All the way. I am. I could ruin my marriage in one decision today if I wanted. If I'm not careful, I'm one decision away, and so are you. And if you've already made that decision, the, I would say, um, let the healing begin. And repentance just means this. You've been going with the stream. You've been kind of just going with whatever's happening. God is saying, no, now you need to turn and go the other way. And just trust him for, for better. Trust him for fantastic. And your life, 
Would you choose fantastic over frustration, over lack, over all of that? Today, I want to give you, I want to give you the, idea, the, the opportunity to do that. The Bible says if we confess, God hears it, and he forgives, and he wants us to repent. It's like that woman that was caught in the act of adultery. He just says, I don't judge you either, but go and sin no more. Today, and I'm here to judge you. I'm just here to say, would you go God's way? Would you trust him? And young people, as you listen to this today, let me just challenge you, all right? Uh, you have to make a decision. You can go with the stream and go with culture, and it's, it's really difficult to go against it. But if you do, you'll wake up one day further up the stream and realize this is a fantastic way to live. And God's challenge to you is, would you trust him in this area? Just close your eyes and bow your head today as we close up service. If that's you, if you're here today and you just say, God, I, I need to confess that I'm out of bounds. I've stepped over boundaries I shouldn't have. And, um, or maybe you're in that process and you need to stop. And that'd be you today saying, God, I, I acknowledge that I need you in my life. Forgive me. I want to go your way. I want what works. So would you help me on this journey? So if that's you today, would you do me a favor? Just lift your hand. Let me know. Awesome. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I love that God is today. He's just wrapping up his arms saying, man, thank you. Thank you for coming home. Thank you for acknowledging. If you raise your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? It's just a simple prayer saying, God, forgive me. I invite you in relationship. Lead me on this journey. I leave the past behind. If you're a Christian, would you join us in praying uh, with, with those that raise their hand today? Say this prayer. Say, Father God, today I acknowledge that I've sinned, that I've broken your commandments, gone my own way. Forgive me. Today, I ask for your help. I believe you sent Jesus to die on that cross for me. I choose to follow you. I turn away from my past. And I'll walk towards you today. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. I receive it. Help me on this journey. I put my trust in you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we celebrate those that raised their hand and prayed?